Thank you, everybody. Great honor. Are you surprised by the Ninth Circuit ruling? Uh, I'm never surprised by the Ninth Circuit. <laughs> As I said, we'll see him in the Supreme Court. <laughs>The Washington Examiner, President Trump said that he would absolutely consider splitting up the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. A judge in that court, the Ninth Circuit, has blocked Trump's executive order banning immigration from seven Muslim-majority countries. And two district court judges, under that Ninth Circuit umbrella, have blocked both his second go at the immigration ban and Trump's order cutting funding to cities that don't comply with federal immigration enforcement. So... Here's where we come in. Can President Trump really break up an existing circuit court? And are there consequences for suggesting he do so? I'm Allison Michaels, and this is Can He Do That? A podcast where we explore the powers and limitations of the American presidency. Today, we'll talk to a historian about the history of our court system and a legal expert about what it takes to split up a circuit court. But first, to help us navigate it all, we have political reporter Amber Phillips here on the show. Amber, thank you so much for being here. Happy to be here. Just to establish this, the federal court system essentially has three levels. So first there's the district court. Those are the the trial courts. And then we have the circuit courts. Those are intermediate courts. They're the first level of appeal. They're also called the appeals courts. And then, of course, at the top, we have the Supreme Court. Now, at that appeal level, there are 13 circuit courts. The ninth is one of them. But Amber, what exactly does the ninth circuit court look like? Yeah, so it's one of those intermediate courts. Um, Basically, it handles cases from all of the district courts in a lot of different states, from Alaska to California to Arizona, Hawaii, Idaho, going down the list, Montana, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and even Guam in the Northern Mariana Islands. They Basically, this court handles cases from 20% of the population of the United States and its territories. It's headquartered in San Francisco. And today we have a situation where there are some people who think this court is just too big, like there are just too many cases. How can one circuit, there's 29 judges, our judgeship positions um, handle cases stretching from like Nevada to the Mariana Islands. Right. And in some cases, you know, we've got California in there, but we also have Idaho and Montana, which have much more rural communities, sort of different political ideologies, different cases that might come up. Yeah, it's a it's a diverse uh, courtship. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier some of the pushback that Trump has faced with this court. Can you explain a little more with a little more detail some of the issues that Trump has come up against in the Ninth Circuit, specifically since he took office? Yeah, basically, this uh, both his travel bans are essentially frozen, one of them directly by the Ninth Circuit Court. And that happened in February. There were several judges across the nation uh, when Trump first implemented his ban it, in the district court level who said, let's put a pause on this. We're like, we're not ruling if it's constitutional to prohibit people from traveling to the U.S. from specific countries, but, but we feel like they're there's enough of an argument that this could negatively impact people, that we should just put a pause on this. So the Trump administration appealed. This happened all over, but specifically in Washington state was one of the first district courts to put a pause on it nationwide. So the Trump administration appealed there. 
it went to the Ninth Circuit, and there a three-judge panel included two Democratic appointees, one Republican appointee, uh, agreed to basically pause this ban. That was pretty detrimental for Trump's first original travel ban. So what the Trump administration did was they they went back to the drawing board, they revised the ban, they they made it, I guess the best way to say it is like watered down, less strict about who could come in and come out. And then a district court judge in Hawaii paused that ban. <laughs> Again, same same argument that he wasn't ruling on the constitutionality of it. He was just saying, I agree with the with the people who oppose this ban that you're essentially putting undue burden on people. And and we should just pause this while we decide if this is constitutional. So theoretically, if somebody were to appeal that Hawaii court judge's decision, it would then go up to the Ninth Circuit Court. Exactly. Okay, so that's how our federal court system is interplaying with the president right now. But what has that relationship looked like in the past? Has a president ever tried to break one up? And why do we even have this circuit court system to begin with? To figure that out, I talked to Professor Judith Resnick. She is the Arthur Lyman Professor of Law at Yale University, and she knows all about the history of our federal court system. Let's start with the U.S. Constitution. And the U.S. Constitution provides that there will be one Supreme Court and such lower courts as Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. Simply put, the Constitution stipulates that there has to be a Supreme Court, and simply put, it gives Congress the capacity to design and develop the lower federal court system. But Congress doesn't have a complete blank check because the Constitution also says that these judges' salaries cannot be diminished. The basic idea was the concern of undue pressure on judges, either from executive or legislative sources. And so the concept of judicial independence is central to the U.S. Constitution. After the Constitution comes into being, Congress creates the first Judiciary Act of 1789. It creates 13 lower federal district courts, one for each of the then 13 states, and it creates the Supreme Court and an intermediate court in which the Supreme Court justice joins with a district court judge to sit as an intermediate appellate court, but actually also as a court of first instance, as a a kind of higher level trial court as well. Why is it called the circuit court? Well, um, it's a hangover name. (laughs) In the 1789 version, when we were just a two-level system with this intermediate composition where Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court joined a lower court judge, they were called circuit. They rode circuit. They went to the different parts of the United States. States were combined into different areas. So I, who am talking to you from New Haven, Connecticut, am in the Second Circuit, and that's Connecticut, New York, and Vermont as an example of one circuit that sits together. Um, Let me just add, because it's uh, hard to imagine when we think back. In the early days of the Republic, there were very few federal judges. As of 1850... There wasn't a single building in the United States called U.S. Courthouse. There were fewer than 50 federal judges around the entire United States as it then existed, and they didn't have a building of their own. They shared quarters with the states, or they were in federal buildings that had other uses as well. Remember, the U.S. Supreme Court didn't get its own building to 1935. 
the federal judiciary is really an artifact, as we think about it, of both the Civil War and the Second Reconstruction, because it was after the Civil War that there was a great spurt of new both federal courthouse building and new federal judgeships. The idea that we're going to use federal courts as a way of helping enforce the new equality rights of the Civil War and then the new equality rights in the 1960s. These are why we think of them as such important institutions today. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about um, precedent for a president trying to change the makeup of a court. So it's my understanding that Franklin Roosevelt tried to expand the Supreme Court to as many as 15 justices after the court had knocked down sort of key pieces of his New Deal legislation. Can you explain what happened then? The so-called court packing plan was seen as a national effort to affect the independence of the judiciary. I think Roosevelt fans and Roosevelt foes uh, generally view this as a grave mistake and a sad mark on the presidency. So let's get into some of the specifics of breaking up a court and what that's looked like in the past. So we have the Fifth Circuit Court, which was broken up in the 1980s. Can you walk us through some of the specifics of what led to the breakup of that court and, and what happened as a result? So, of course, the story as it begins in the 60s and 70s is of intense debates about the decisions that were made in the South, involving school desegregation, horrible conditions in prisons, and the like. And it actually looked like it was framed as a way to limit the decisions of particular judges in particular areas. But the way it ended up in the 1980s was it split the circuit relatively evenly with three states in each part, even in the two circuits. And Each circuit adopted the other circuits. I mean, the law of the old fifth became the law of the 11th as well. So the reconfiguration of the fifth was, while initially framed in political terms, came to be understood as a wise administration of justice. At the time, it looked like the caseload was going to keep going up because starting in the 1960s, Congress enacted a host of different kinds of statutes, not just civil rights statutes, and it looked like there was just going to be too much work for everybody. It seems like at the time it was kind of the source of political controversy, and it, was broke, it wasn't broken up in the 60s kind of as a result of the perception of it being this piece of politics. And later on, as you mentioned, in the 80s, it was eventually broken up. Do you think that it sort of became a proxy war for the civil rights movement, or is, you know, what, what did that look like? There's an era when it's being debated through the lens of civil rights, but that moves on. As I said, it's proposed as a way to defuse and disempower particular judges. It's not enacted then because the political, legal, professional consensus is that that would be a terrible way to respond to judicial decision-making, and it would be a violation of the commitment of the Constitution that our judges have to be independent. Okay, Amber, so do you think that for President Trump, brushing up against the Ninth Circuit Court, having his immigration ban stalled, was sort of the first moment that he realized that he is not 
all-powerful in the presidency. Well, he was certainly really, really frustrated by this, by the original holding up of his first travel ban. I mean, he lashed out at the judges who blocked it, calling them so-called judges. Um, I don't know if if he's kind of come to reckon with the fact that there are three independent branches, two of which he has no control over. And the reason is, as the courts continue to hold up some of his major initiatives, he continues to have the same kind of rhetoric, very angry, very much in disbelief that this is happening. I sense a, a person who's very flustered that he can't just shape things the way he wants it to be. Yeah. And I should also mention that the same day Trump made these comments to the examiner about breaking up the court, he, he also tweeted over the course of three tweets. Here's what he said. First, the Ninth Circuit rules against the ban, and now it hits again on sanctuary cities, both ridiculous rulings. See you in the Supreme Court. Out of our very big country with many choices, does everyone notice that both the ban case and now the sanctuary case is brought in the Ninth Circuit, which has a terrible record of being overturned, close to 80 percent? They used to call this judge shopping messy system. So big tweet, but let's break that down for a second. So first of all, he's attacking the Ninth Circuit in regards to the sanctuary cities ban, but that hasn't actually risen to the level of the Ninth Circuit. Can you talk about that? Yeah, he actually, in his original tweet, lashed out at the wrong court, basically. Like we said, there are three levels. Level number one, blocked a sanctuary cities ban. Trump blamed level number two. Okay, and another thing that he touched on in this series of tweets was the court's record of being overturned. So I would think that a bigger court sends more cases and therefore has a higher chance of cases getting overturned, where a smaller size court might only send one or two cases a year. Does that add up? Yeah, that's exactly right. This Ninth Circuit court, it's one of the biggest. It's huge. It, it sees more cases. So to compare, the overturn rate is really comparing apples and oranges here. The other major complaint President Trump has about the Ninth Circuit Court is judge shopping. To get a better sense of what that even means and what it would take for President Trump to break up this court, I talked to Cornell Law Professor Josh Schaffitz. Can a president just wave his wand and say, okay, court, you're broken up? No, he can't. So the president has no unilateral authority over uh, the structure or composition of the federal judiciary in that way. But Congress can do that. Congress could, if it were so inclined, pass a statute uh, that would break up the Ninth Circuit as it has structured the federal judiciary throughout American history. So let's go back to the the original notion of what President Trump wants to do. He, this Ninth Circuit Court in particular has ruled against him. Mm-hmm. If he went to Congress and he said, hey, guys, can you help me write a law to break up the Ninth Circuit Court? What would that look like? What does breaking up a court even mean? Right. So, the, I mean, the, uh, the Ninth Circuit, like almost all of the circuit courts, is geographically determined. So currently the Ninth Circuit basically is the entire West Coast. So it's uh, actually the biggest court of appeals, because if you think about just how much legal business would come out of that huge swath of the country, and that very high, heavily populated swath of the country, uh, it's a lot of legal business. And so actually, there have been proposals to break the Ninth Circuit up into two circuits for quite a while. Often they're proposed by Republicans because the Ninth Circuit has had a distinctly uh, liberal tilt for quite some time. But sometimes they're even proposed by people who just are interested in sort of good judicial administration and the idea that the Ninth Circuit has simply sort of gone, grown too big, perhaps, in their view, to be administrable. Okay. So Congress could say, all right, yeah, we think this court is either too busy 
or it's too political. Let's break it up. Let's, I don't know, like cut off the bottom half of, you know, Arizona and Las Vegas on down and say, you guys now go to the 12th Circuit Court. Would that create an entire new group of judges that could create entire new decisions? Or, or would it be like the same court just cut in half? So presumably as part of that, they would also add judgeships. You know, if they didn't add judgeships as part of it, in essence, it wouldn't change very much. But really, I would think the main payoff of trying to split up a circuit would be that you then say, oh, and we need a few more judges, too. Uh, and then, of course, the incumbent president would get to nominate those judges. Okay, so conceivably, you could have a more conservative-leaning new court. Exactly. I mean, I think that's, you know, something like that is presumably what Trump is thinking. But again, he'd need Congress to go along with all of this. And that, that strikes me as fairly implausible. Why? Why is, why is it uh, implausible for you to see Congress agreeing to split up this Ninth Circuit? Uh, well, for a couple of reasons. One is that, uh, of course, at least for now, we still have the legislative filibuster. So this is something that uh, would require 60 votes in the Senate. And, and Republicans don't have 60 votes. They have 52. Exactly. Um, so they'd need to win over eight Democrats. It's hard for me to imagine any Democrat signing on to that. But even in the absence of the filibuster... Americans tend to be fairly skeptical of political meddling in the court when that meddling appears to be animated by the decisions that the judges are reaching. And, you know, Trump's own comments make it clear that if this were to happen, it would be because of the decisions, not because of some sort of abstract good government concerns about, oh, you know, the Ninth Circuit is grown too big, it's no longer administrable. Is there anything else President Trump could do to try to, like, make the Ninth Circuit more friendly to him? Because let me back up and say, as I understand it, if uh, someone has an objection to his travel ban to largely Muslim countries, they can anywhere in the nation pick a circuit court and file a complaint and have that circuit court decide that decision. So let me ask that. Is that the way it works? Well, so the individual litigant in that case isn't able to uh, call forum shop in quite that way. Say you're, you're um, uh, either being removed from the country or you're being denied uh, entry into the country, you would have to go to court in the first the district and then the circuit where that sort of physical denial occurred. But because the policy itself is a nationwide policy, the groups that are challenging it, groups like the ACLU or the National Immigration Law Center, can sort of uh, look around and find the particular parties at issue who are located in the jurisdictions that are likely to be most friendly. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, there are people stuck at airports all around the country, so it it was kind of easy for these groups who wanted to challenge this to to find people in friendlier legal jurisdictions. Which brings me back to, to my original and final question. Is there anything the president can do to try to change the makeup of the Ninth Court if Congress won't agree with him to, like, shuffle it? Well, so there, there are um, a couple things. One thing he can do uh, is that I think there are currently four vacancies on the Ninth Circuit. If he can get nominees uh, confirmed to fill those four vacancies, uh, obviously that will go at least some way towards changing the composition of that circuit. Uh, now, I should say that's actually caught up in the Senate's practice called senatorial courtesy, which is that um, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee usually won't uh, even hold hearings on any judicial nominee uh, if either of the uh, two home state senators for where that judge would sit objects to that nominee. That's called a blue slip, right? It's called a blue slip, exactly. 
So part of Trump's problem is that I think uh, at least some of those vacancies are actually for Ninth Circuit seats that are uh, sort of assigned to California. Anyone that Trump might want to nominate uh, would have to be approved by both Senator Harris and Senator Feinstein, which uh, means that realistically Trump probably isn't going to get to appoint all those seats, at least so long as the Senate sticks to the the senatorial courtesy uh, tradition. Yeah, those are like two of the most liberal senators in Washington. Exactly. But, you know, if there's a, and again, I'm not actually entirely sure um, exactly which which are the seats that are open. But for example, if there's an opening in Arizona, uh, Trump might have a much easier time uh, getting his appointee confirmed there. Where there are Republican senators. Exactly. Flake and McCain. You know, one thing he can do is just try to nominate and get confirmed uh, uh, his judges. The other thing that he could do if he was more popular is what's called going public, right? That is to say, and he is trying to do this, it's just backfiring on him. Uh, That is to say, when a really popular president sort of publicly pressures judges, in many cases, those judges back down. I think you can see something similar happening uh, when the Supreme Court backed down in the um, Affordable Care Act case. Obama went public, uh, said, while the case was pending, said, if the Supreme Court strikes this down, uh, it'll be a disaster, it'll be a partisan act. And, you know, we know that John Roberts changed his vote. So I think you can see when, when presidents are popular and have, you know, have the public behind them, sometimes they can actually stare down judges and get the judges to sort of change the way they're ruling. Right. So bottom line, to, to change that, he would need to, either need to change the court, which Congress is probably not inclined to do, or become more popular and try to put pressure on the courts to approve his whatever he wants to do. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I, yeah, as I said, I just don't see either of those things as being particularly likely in, in current circumstances. Okay, Amber, so it seems like it would be a bad political move to pursue pushing legislation to break up the Ninth Circuit Court while Trump is so publicly in disagreement with this court. Do you agree with that? Would, would there be political consequences of, of this for the president? Absolutely. In fact, I think there arguably already are. Uh, Trump has a history going back since the campaign of making comments about judges that toe right up to this line in the views of many Americans and the judicial system and even lawmakers in Congress of respecting the independence of the judiciary. I mean, in the examples I can think of, he's not just disagreeing with the court's decision, which presidents have done for centuries. Um, he's questioning the very legitimacy of these courts and, and judges and their roles in our system. Uh, during the campaign, if you'll recall, he said a judge in California couldn't rule fairly on a Trump University lawsuit because of this judge's quote unquote Mexican heritage. Judge Neil Gorsuch said he feels Trump's tax are disheartening and demoralizing. Uh, Paul Ryan during the campaign said Trump's comments about this California judge is the very definition of racism. So with this history, I feel like there's a high risk that any attempt on President Trump's part to break up the circuit court would come across to the American people and lawmakers in Congress as a president overstepping his bounds. So it seems pretty unlikely then that Congress would also take any action on this, even if Trump really pushed it. Would they do that as a result of kind of just too heavy political consequence or or maybe they just disagree with Trump fundamentally on the role of the courts? What might we see out of Congress? Yeah, I, th- I think it's both those things, right? I think that politically, if trying to break up a court is toxic for Trump, 
it follows it would be just as toxic for lawmakers in Congress to touch who don't necessarily have that kind of Teflon quality that the president has, especially since Republicans, as I mentioned earlier, have criticized his slamming of federal judges. But I also think it is like a fundamental principle of Republican politics as well as Democratic politics that you let the other branches of government play out the way they're supposed to. I mean, Republicans in particular don't like the federal government interfering in other parts of people's lives. And trying to break up a circuit court is like the ultimate act of interfering. Yeah. Now, what's interesting here is that Trump is this figure who seems to, you know, push the political boundaries and not really necessarily face a ton of backlash for that. So, There is a perspective here that maybe for Trump, it would be worth it to push against these norms to kind of push the push Congress to break up a court. And he wouldn't necessarily face consequences for it. But what he would gain is these serious immigration policies, which were a fundamental part of his campaign. Do you think that these policies, because they are so much about kind of the Trump identity, might be worth it for him to break up a court over. I mean, at this point, only 2% of Trump voters said they would change their votes, according to like a late April Washington Post ABC News poll about his 100 days in. I mean, this guy is so popular with this base. And I think specifically for the reasons you mentioned, right? Like the president got elected on on this mandate of change, of shaking up Washington. Whatever he does that, that ruffles the feathers of these lawmakers in Congress, whether they're Republicans or Democrats or these judges could be viewed as a totally positive thing for his base. We've essentially answered the critical can he do that question already in this episode. Can Trump actually break up the Ninth Circuit Court? And the answer to that is really no, not without Congress. So I'm going to toss the can he do that question to you in a new form, in a different form, which is what are the consequences for suggesting taking action like this against an independent branch of government just for blocking a few of his orders? Yeah, well, I think the consequences probably outweigh the viability of of making this happen. It's possible we see more judges rule against the president, or at least they're more skeptical and tough of him because they've kind of feel like they're the president has started a battle with them. Um, he could have trouble even appointing judges to court vacancies to try to change the political makeup of the court because he has a Congress skeptical of his intentions and they're the ones who approve the judges. And he just generally risks eroding his popularity since he's already historically unpopular and attacking an independent judiciary is a risky thing to do here in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amber, thank you so much for coming on the show. You guys can follow Amber on Twitter at by Amber Phillips, two L's. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode. If you like this, subscribe. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Radio Public, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and keep sending me story ideas. You guys have been great about that lately. We've gotten a lot of good ones, so please keep them coming. And if you're looking for a new podcast, you guys should try the latest one from The Washington Post. It's called Other, Mixed Race in America, and it's hosted by our very own Alex Laughlin. It's a great listen. Check it out. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the highly skilled Carol Alderman with design direction from Rachel Orr and logo art from Loren Boglio. 